In today's episode, I spoke with Fenella, who is an NLP and hypnosis expert, and we got into lots of the wonderful benefits that everybody can have from NLP, hypnosis, and especially timeline therapy. It was a great conversation. I'm very grateful to her. Please check out the links in the description. And as always, if you can, please like, subscribe, and share the podcast. Much appreciated. Hello, and welcome to the David Watson podcast. And thank you for joining me. I do appreciate it. How are you today? I'm very good. Thank you, David. And thank you for having me. No, you're welcome. And we were just having a brief discussion about your uh, hat, should we say, because uh, you've uh, doing some publicity work and have a new hairstyle. I do, yes. An extreme one that I had when I was 21 or 20. I think you'll keep it. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. No, I don't fancy keeping it like that because it's it's too much work, really, putting all the colours in. So Yeah, that's true. I'll, I'll chop it all off and then start all over again. Are you going to go back to your original haircut? Who knows? I may just uh, have something that's a bit shorter because my hair used to be about shoulder length. Because in the in the pictures that I've seen on your website and socials, it looks like you have quite thick curly hair. I do, yes. Yeah. So. I do. It's all gone. So that will come back and it maybe will. even more curly. It, it will. It will grow back. And so talking about your website and socials, you are um, actually specifically, how does it work? Because I was, I was looking for you actually offer several things. It's not just yeah. like one session, you, the single session coaching, four monthly coaching, 12 monthly coaching. And you have a very, one of the things I really enjoyed when I was looking at your website was that you make a very good distinction, I feel, between counselling and coaching, which I... Yes. Could we yes. just sort of have a little chat about that just sort of briefly first? Um, so counselling is really when people talk about, go over their past and talk it through. Um, and essentially when my personal belief is that counselling can serve early on when something happens for somebody just as a way to make sense of things and it's really important that people have the opportunity to make sense of things yet in the long term all it serves to do is to wire in the experience again and again so every time we think of a negative experience we're, bring, we're bringing that memory into the present and we're simply wiring it deeper into our neural networks. So essentially, coaching is future focused. Yep. I kind of do a bit of a, a combination because I do something called, um, I do kind of coaching therapy. So if it's required, I will clear the past very quickly with something called timeline therapy and sometimes hypnosis. Because in my belief as well is that if we don't clear the past, the unconscious mind will continuously represent it because that's what it wants all the time. Yeah. It's looking for completion. It's looking for resolution. And so by clearing all of that quickly without spending, because I'm, I'm not really interested in the story of the past, yet when I listen to it from the client just in the, one session, the pattern presents itself. And that's what I'm looking for is the pattern that they're running to do what we call their problem that's holding them back. So once that's all clear, then we can move forward and with more more speed, essentially. So, yeah. I was going to say, I like the, um, the, how you described the, the mind is looking for the completion. 
Yeah. Because that, that, that's kind of does actually sum it up very well, doesn't it? There, there is this part of our subconscious mind that is, is trying to resolve potentially future problems. Yes, because we'll come up if we don't if we don't resolve old stuff, um, we'll come up with a future problems, essentially. And if we resolve the old stuff, which we've held on to, sometimes with the best, you know, intention, because um, we say is every behavior stems from a positive intention in NLP. And there is a purpose for any old behavior. And that's often protection and safety. So people say, oh, well, I want to hold on to it. So if something like this happens again, I know that it's going to, you know, I, I know it's happening. Whereas I, we say is, is that if you do that, if you keep holding on to something, it's just going to keep re represent it because essentially your, your, what we call your reticular activating system is looking for that. It's looking for a match all the time. So when things happen, you'll slot it into your old behaviors as opposed to looking at it in a different way because everything, all, all behavior is reframable. Yeah. All our patterns are reframable. So how did you get into the NLP and the hypnosis work? Um, so my background, um, I worked with children originally when I started, when I left college. And um, I have a very strong passion around the fact that I think adult behaviours limit children. We crush children's um, imagination. We, we put our limitations on them. And so that my interest in psychology really started from there. And I'm very much into children learning through play and that ability to use our imagination because we create everything through our minds. And then from there, essentially, I ended up doing personal training at one point. And there was this thing. It was like, well, why are my clients, some of my clients, not making headway? What is it that's really stopping them? And of course, it was their mind is that they come to a session and it's all great. But what they don't do then is uh, go and continue doing that afterwards. So very successful people in, 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 um, in the, some very successful people in their jobs were then very unsuccessful. So, for example, in getting fit or losing weight or, you know, what they wanted to do. So then um, uh, I think for a friend of mine, NLP just appeared. It appeared a long time ago. I'd read a book about it done nothing about it then it appeared on the horizon again and i went i just thought that's what i have to do that's the missing piece of the jigsaw puzzle and actually it was everything everything fell into place when i did um, when i did the training as a practitioner and then uh, the obvious thing for me was to go to do master practitioner and then because i was um i've been a trainer for plus 20 plus years uh, the next thing was to deliver uh, was to train as a trainer so i also teach people to do what i do in terms of the skills that i have yeah to say that you have quite a few courses on your website yes uh, offering variety it's all yeah. about flexibility so if somebody was listening to this um what would you suggest they how would you suggest they approach it not so much i suppose the original question would be what would they do what should they learn first but before they decided that what what way would you want them to approach it what, what, what way would the, I want them to approach NLP? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's about people who, for example, NLP is all about replicating excellence. So it's essentially based on modeling. How do excellent people, people who have success in their lives, do what they do? And it's essentially a deconstruct of how our mind works. So for people who are looking to um, communicate with themselves better um, and other people, 
um, for people who are looking to develop their leadership skills and personal development, essentially, because it really does, when somebody learns NLP, they go through all the processes of change themselves. So it's quite a transformative process. And it really, it depends on whether people want a taster, which is a two, which is a two day, which is very intense <laughs> because the way NLP is taught is very different from how we, how we learn in school. So we learn in school consciously and all learning behavior and change is unconscious. So I overload, deliberately overload people's conscious mind so that, that that goes gets out of the way and they go, oh, you know, I can't be doing with this. And then they just let things go in. I teach people the learning state and things like that as well. Is essentially that that's where our learning happens and we just don't trust it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. So because that um, you mentioned, um, again, about being at school and how it doesn't seem to, I suppose, for want of a better term and not trying to be too clumsy, it doesn't meet our needs. Yeah. And I've heard about children through play before. And I'm always, I don't know if it's skeptical, cynical, or just don't have a clue what it really means. In terms of children and play, the value of play. Yeah, because funnily enough, I, I did a podcast recently, just a single podcast. Uh, so it was like a little short video where I said, one of the things that my our generation have, which I feel is an advantage, is that we learnt the ability and value of being bored. Yes. And that being a child when we were children, um, being bored was just something my niece, who's 12, could yeah. not comprehend. Yeah. She, she's no idea. It's just on her phone, whereas we would literally find something to do by staring at a wall for four hours. Absolutely. We allowed our, our imagination mm. to be activated because it needs space. And because the children are having con constant stimulation and, or they're being ferried from after school club to uh, activity to activity, they're missing out on essential aspects of their development. So what happens with, with play? Because um, I still teach play work because I'm absolutely I'm so passionate about the value of it. Play enable, is a precursor to learning in school. So for children to have free play, self-directed, intrinsically motivated, means that they will be ready. Because children are going to school far too early. They're sitting down, formal learning. They're labelled because they can't sit still. And they're not designed to sit still at that age. Children will learn through going out and exploring the world. And when they explore the world, what they'll do is they'll get stimulated response from the world. And that gives them a feeling of literally we, children have released barbiturates. Yep. So the spinning, jumping, running encourages children to do more of it because it's such an essential part of their development. And if you look at other mammals is that they will um, they will play, even though they're quite vulnerable when they're playing in the wild. And so if play wasn't that important, it would have been um, evolved. You know, there would, evolution would have got rid of it. It's essentially a massively important part, I said, as well for development of reflexes, development of part the, the hindbrain called cerebellum in terms of movement, and also that's um, part of the cerebellum because it has so many neurons in it. It's also um, has a language center in it, so it helps with language. So all of this helps children to be ready to actually learn in a more formal manner. Yeah, um, because we're not doing that. Children are less resilient. Children feel more anxious. Children, and we don't allow children to take risks. 
in the same way that we used to. It's and that really is that really is to their detriment. It really is in terms of long term. So we end up with people, children who are feeling more anxious, who are got all of these different labels and behaviours, and also because of the scrolling of the incessant social media, that decreases um, their ability to concentrate as well. So you were talking about being bored. Is that space and that time in the mind just to be able to sit and allow the mind to go off on its own journey, essentially, rather than having to be continuously stimulated. So. I often wonder, um, I mean, just, just a sort of clarification, because um, although I, I my main job is uh, head injury rehabilitation, like, like you, I am actually a hypnotist, hypnotherapist, and do therapy. And I originally, funnily enough, trained to be a counsellor. And then after I did my first exams, um, which I think is why I liked your definition of counselling versus coaching, because the reason I never carried on is just like you're not fixing anything; you're just going over old drama. Yeah. I, I, so, I, so I finished my first exams and never did my 500 hours or whatever it was back then, right, and, and never, right. never, never finished the qualification. So it's just like this isn't—I'd never be a good counsellor um, mm. because I constantly think, okay, it's time to move to a solution now. <laughs> um, but I wonder how much of today's teenagers, children, and stuff moving forward that going back to the boredom thing is the the, one of the reasons they suffer so much with kind of like that anxiety crisis that lack of ability to have i don't know self i see it so many different things i'm not really sure what Mm. label should be put on it whether it's self-confidence low self-esteem anxiety just there's an uncertainty about them that i think we never had because we would just get up and wander around the woods yes absolutely we would have that freedom to explore and roam, and then the world doesn't become the world isn't as scary. Yeah, and uh, and and we learn to manage risk. And when we learn to manage risk, in terms of the playbook theory, it's compound flexibility. So what we develop is we develop. We get a stimulus, we get a response from the world, we get good feedback or bad fat feedback or whatever, and we learn, we problem solve, we build our confidence through problem sol- solving. We then learn to take greater risks and so on and so forth. And the spiral goes up because um, then we'll we'll be more prepared to try new things as well because we've had that experimentation process. And the converse is true as well. If a child is in a low stimulating environment, which essentially social media is because it's just very single one direction, it's passive. Then what happens is is that that, that the stimulus and the response and then there's also, you know, um, looking at other judging themselves by what what the curated the curated um feeds that they see um and so it kind of the spiral goes down and they have less ability to experiment they're less confident they're less feel like they they don't they're less able to take risks because they don't have that confidence so yeah while as we were out in the woods climbing trees and doing different things and digging holes and maybe having accidents as well we still survived when I was saying wandering around the woods and, and you were talking, one of the images that popped into my head is that moment that probably all of us uh, of a certain generation uh, captured is when you're climbing a tree and you're not quite sure if you've actually gone too high. Yeah, because you've got to get down again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And if you're with a group of people, you've got to try and act brave. And Absolutely. Either, either carry on climbing or come up with a reason to go down to the floor to have a conversation Absolutely. with someone. Um, Absolutely. And, and that's what... Yeah, that's what I did, you know, because I used to run an adventure playground. Oh, nice. So, 
So that was, you know, the best place with adults, I think, for children to be. Even, even though, even that environment, we change the dynamic of children playing just with adults there. It changes the dynamic unconsciously. Yeah, because I, I, I see that when um, I've done things with my niece and stuff, that they, the awareness that you're there always seems to have them overlooking, looking over their shoulder for you. Yeah. Um, whereas they're out in the woods with all different with their friends and all different age ages it's not always great play isn't always great but what children are doing is they're they're acting out their experience of the world and it's a safer environment for them to do that it's a low more low stakes environment so they're playing out what they see in their world and what they're feeling about the world um and then kind of learning learning about their world and what adults tend to do at the moment, more more often than not now, is they intervene when a child's having difficulties. They intervene, and what that ha what happens there is the child is missing out on the essential essential parts of the learning process. It's, so it's about being resilient. Yeah, because the other benefit of just sheer boredom when we were children is you became very motivated to try projects yeah. that that might take some time, and so that delayed which is you know that term they love to use a delayed gratification yeah um but for, but for us that was because you realized after moments of sort of hours of absolute boredom you you suddenly found great motivation to go and do something even if it would take you a fortnight yeah that was the ability you know to concentrate in the deep work which again is really very very beneficial for for development um and you know Personally, I have very strong feelings around uh, the, the labels like ADHD and all of the labels, lots of the labels that we have. And essentially, um, it's to do with the ability, the way the brain has become wired. And again, in NLP, we just see it as behavior and all behavior can be changed because it's a pattern. And because the brain is neuroplastic, as we have neuroplasticity, then and that that's what kind of always makes me laugh is that people understand that we have neuroplasticity yet they believe they don't have it so for example someone who's someone who isn't who's <laughs> so who, true, yeah. uses their, loses their ability to walk and then learns to walk again because they utilize different parts of their brain because it's so flexible and then somebody else goes well i you know but i couldn't do that i'm different it's like how you have the same neural pathways you can develop so, yeah no i see that with head injuries that you can always yeah. tell the you can tell a lot about who they were before the accident yeah. because some are just closed off and people oh, it's because of their head injury no it was their beliefs beforehand yeah. and they are so it's, it's interesting um with what you were saying about children and play and that type of therapy because this has been known for a long time and it's actually very hard to find any sort of psychiatrist psychotherapist or therapist that doesn't agree with it yeah. so so why are we not doing it? I have no idea, to be quite frank. Personally, I believe we don't value children in a Western society. I believe that we have uh, uh, people who are in the institutions who are so focused on the formal old school learning that um, and, and they've lost that contact with maybe they never had that experience in childhood. So they don't understand it, literally. And I don't think that in our society we value the practitioners. We don't trust the practitioners. 
So, for example, teachers aren't able to teach because the, the, the curriculum is so restrictive and so full of paperwork. And, and Ofsted and, you know, there are some really good Ofsted in, inspectors, yet the parameters within which, which they have to work often limit what they actually see and the value of what they see in terms of the practitioners. And the practitioners are all paranoid about getting a bad Ofsted. You know, that, that, that is definitely true. There is this um, strange feedback loop that everyone's got caught in where people are just petrified of being reported for something, even yeah. if they know their hand on heart, they're doing the right thing. And, and my fundamental belief and always was when I work with children is the first thing I think to myself is what's the benefit to the children? Who is at the centre here? I'm considering children. And if it's, an, you know, is it an adult agenda? If it's an adult agenda, basically, I was like, I'm not doing it. We're, and I would find a, I would find a, um, I would reframe it and find a way of explaining it, why it was beneficial to children and why that their what they were asking us to do was not going to happen. <laughs> so can, could we dip into a bit of timeline therapy as well? Oh, yes, definitely. The floor is yours. I love it. So timeline therapy, if you're a hypnotherapist, so hypnotherapy is, is a state of where somebody is listening to, to you um, talking in an induction, essentially taking them into taking them into trance or they're going into trance as a result of allowing to, to listening to what you're saying. NLP on the other side is a bit more of a conscious process and timeline therapy essentially bridges the gap between those two. So it's a conscious unconscious process. Um, it's a process of active imagination because, as we say, everyone is making it all up. Everything in our, we are, we are imagining. We imagine everything. And I always say to my clients is, you know, look around the room and everything in this room, apart from the plants or anything natural is a figment, was, was once a figment of someone's imagination and then they made it real. And that kind of enables people to connect with the idea because they say, oh, I'm making it up. And I say, good job. <laughs> good job that yeah. you're making it up because it is a reef, it's a reframe. But we're and we're also looking at um, essentially going going back into the past to the first event, and the first event is always an event we don't remember because we wouldn't be able to define something. For example, we remove negative inverted commas negative old negative emotions like anger, sadness, fear, hurt, and guilt, and anything else the client mentions if we're doing the whole process. And we always do them in that order because of the energies of. Of, of those emotions so if someone goes back and, and they're going to the first event they won't be able to remember that first event because everything else is, that they do remember is a significant emotional event so as I say it's a process of active imagination and I talk to them about the first seven years of life being, an, being a, a sponge and just um, absorbing everything uncritically so we also do talk about generational and, and, and lifetimes because people, generations, um, you can you can have memories passed through your genes as well. And also lifetimes, we don't know if that exists or not. And for some people, that connects with them. And you'd be surprised what people come out with when they're doing, when they're going through the process. Because I'm asking them to do the process unconsciously. So essentially, it, it, it involves them going up on their timeline when they've elicited it. And they're doing, they're doing a process in their head, either visually, with sound, kinesthetically, with feeling. However, is right for them. 
And then when we get to the looking at the event, they're, they're always above their timeline. So it's a detached, we're detached from the emotion because when we're in our emotion, we don't think, we can't think of um, resources. We can't think of learnings. We're just embedded in that old emotion. And so they get lots of learnings from that. And that, that is the reframe because going through that process, they start to feel differently about that memory or that first event. And then we'll go to what we call the quantum position the mirror image reverse before anything happened. The the um yeah, it's the the metaphysical, whatever you like to call it. Um, recognizing that quantum physics is about possibility. And so then from there, when we check, and then we'll go into the event and check the emotions again, and then we'll come back to the present, we'll test, we'll future pace. So what they're doing is essentially rewiring their thinking and uh, and um practicing sort of future pacing so they're practicing their new thinking in the future and that's essentially timeline therapy it's quite it's a pretty fast process and it has incredible results and the reason i yeah i i i use it a lot because it has such good results there are a few people who don't necessarily connect with it which is why i will use hypnotherapy instead yeah i did uh uh, timeline therapy once in a group setting i don't Mm. know if it's the same uh, for it's not an, the same. No. Um, the one thing, I, the two things I remember from it, one was a past life, which was I was a Catholic priest in France. But there was no learning from that that I recall, um, other than I could see the inside of this church and I knew I was in France. And that didn't kind of, that really didn't surprise me as I wrote a book about 10 years ago on reincarnation. So it's sort of like... It, plays into my thing um but the memory that i'd forgotten that uh i'm not sure it definitely had a significant impact on my life but i'm not sure that even now that i've drawn up all the dots if you know what i mean um is i remember having a conversation with a man a young kid called Stephen, and i'd have been about 11 years old and he would have been the same and it was about a girlfriend that i had when i was about 11 and literally you're talking about the transition from primary school to secondary school yeah and i probably only had this girlfriend i don't know for about six weeks or whatever and this young kid Stephen, was telling me because me and this girl had now broken up and at this point if you'd have asked me or pri- pre pre this uh therapy if you'd have asked me <clears throat> i wouldn't have remembered who she was because i didn't yeah. remember have any memory of this kind of, you know i'd have been oh yeah yeah that was a girlfriend i guess but i was 10 11 years old and he, I, the memory was, um, he was telling me how she was had gone to this new school and we'd gone to different schools. Um, that she was telling all these older boys that her and I weren't together anymore, which we weren't, and that I was a terrible kisser. And I re- remember the memory and the emotion I had was absolute humiliation. Yeah. And and then as looking at that as an adult, I was just like, exactly what sort of eleven year old knows how to kiss? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And then also that the the context that came with that afterwards was I didn't know Stephen was even telling the truth. Yes. And yes. I don't know that she ever discussed me with anyone. I I, w- I never witnessed anything, and I never I didn't even know who these guys were, and we never went to the same schools. 
But there was this deep-rooted humiliation to do with this conversation about a girl that wasn't even my girlfriend anymore. It just goes to show, you know, how one thing can happen and how a can have a tremendous effect on how we move forward, essentially. We just embed that as make it at that point and create a limiting decision because we create we clear limiting decisions or limiting beliefs as well with timeline therapy. It made so. me wonder in kind of um, one of those things where, you know, because you, you do tend to ponder on these things for a few days and you, you kind of develop new insights. It, it made me yeah. wonder over the years, had I not, did I hold back from things because I was worried about what people might think? Yeah, we can't tell. We can't no, tell. No, no, I can't. Um, you know, but I was doing podcasts and stuff by that by the time of doing that therapy. Um, but it did make me wonder, like, would I have done more much earlier if I, because I, it was just the the weird sensation of um, which was what was one of the things I will say to people if you do timeline therapy, which I highly recommend, is how in touch I was with how young. How that 11-year-old version of me, just how vulnerable and humiliated he felt. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt it all over again, but yeah. from the kind of the safety of being an adult male. And so, like, actually, you don't have to worry about this this time. Yeah. But that little boy was petrified. And, I mean, I don't know, because I've, I've trained as a clinical hypnotherapist as well, so I do regression hypnotherapy. And that sort of similar sorts of things can happen when we do when we do that too. People go back and recall these a memory that hasn't of which they were unaware. It's all it's all there in our unconscious mind somewhere. It is, yeah, it it, it is. And I, I was definitely grateful that I was able to see it as the adult I am now. Yeah. You know, and just like wow, that 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 little boy version of me for a conversation that he didn't even know was true. Yeah. Just he just so embarrassed. I I was so humiliated, embarrassed. It was it was just bizarre, you know. And I suppose that's the 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 thing around timeline therapy is the reframe. You go back as the adult, and you're reframing it to recognize who you are now, really, or who you can be, um, and overlay that onto that the negative emotion, or and recognize that actually there's no need to hold on to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And moving slightly differently again, um, what, what what are the benefits of or the differences between the different lengths of time that you offer your coaching? So the um, the one session, ninety minutes, essentially is for one one issue, one problem that someone's facing. I just book somebody on for the end of the week. Um, I don't do a lot of those. Um, generally, I have to be really clear that it is just one problem or it's a phobia. And yeah. uh, and then I'll work on that because they're very quick. And then um, the four month essentially is the process of I usually do timeline therapy with people. It's clearing all the past. I'll look at their values. We'll work on their values. We'll align their values and um, get to the point of it's clearing a few issues. And then the seven month set, the process is, is either for people who maybe have something that's a little bit more lodged, a bit, a bit more, um, deep seated, or they're, um, they are not quite willing. So there's a secondary gain issue. Um, 
they're resisting letting go of something. But what we can also do is really then start looking forward and creating plans much more into the future as well as like how they're going to carry out their goal. How are we going to move forward with the goal? Because all of my clients in the four and seven months, uh, the coaching program is they'll write a goal and the goal is tested. The goal is have, there's a whole process in NLP to test goals, which is essentially like no other. I can work out what the limitations exactly where the goal people will work out exactly where the goal isn't really well formed because if it doesn't appeal to the unconscious mind to all of the all of the senses if it's not really compelling then it's not going to happen quite as easily and once we have created a really compelling goal and i'm now i'm going off on a tangent and then we put it in the unconscious unconscious mind Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but because you said you're going off on a tangent, but it's it's actually that tangent I'm really interested in because people don't really understand that they, they they project that they want this lifestyle, this life, this ability to have boundaries or decision making, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and then they don't understand how they trip themselves up, yeah, why that happens, and it, it's how that, that's kind of what I'm interested in is how you connect that with your own coaching programs because that thing you said it doesn't matter what you want if the unconscious isn't on board of it it's kind of like nah yeah yeah because it's just like yeah while you've got the energy we'll sit back and let you do it and then yeah yeah, then we're not going to help you and and that's the beauty for me of nlp is because it's all about pattern we're working out the pattern i'm listening to language really closely and then identifying the negative emotion or the limiting beliefs or the resistance and the secondary gain. And then when we work on those and clear those at the same time of creating goal, because some people, they find it really challenging to create that goal and they're resistant to it as well, because that's part of it. It's I don't want to create a goal because then I'll have to do something to get to it. And um, and so, you know, we have to push, push gently, gently and firmly and uh, get them to to create that goal. And create a goal that is really, yeah, because people say, well, I don't know. I've never, I've never had that. I can't imagine it. And I'm like, well, can you imagine a person who has got it? What would they be thinking? What would they be doing? What will you be seeing when you can, you know, imagine what you can, you can see when you've got this? And again, encourage, you know, that going back to the childhood is encouraging the utilization of the imagination as well. Because again, I think that people very much step away from that and it restricts their ability to, to um, create a future that's, or the conceive of a future that is anything more than what they actually have now and, and recognizing, you know, that they don't recognize actually how magnificent they are. Cause that's my belief. And I have a hundred percent confidence in my clients because I know that they're going to, you know, have that potential. We all have that potential. So um, yes, the combination, depending on the order we go, yeah. um, there's a combination. Goal setting is really, really important because that's the part where we start moving forwards as well. They've always got an eye on the future and we're activating the reticular, you know, it's in their, con- we pop it in their, their unconscious mind. So we call them four, di- I call them four dimensional goals because they're not just written on a piece of paper. They're not in someone's head. They're not just written on a piece of paper. They're tested. And then the process of putting them into their unconscious mind is a, is a really quite a powerful process really connects kinesthetically because again i think people don't necessarily understand and think nlp is all about in the mind and it's not it's very much the mind is in the body there's a mind body connection i think that was probably one of the most powerful things that i experienced 
when I learned to do hypnotherapy because there was all this stuff I thought I knew and thought that I could control and could override by, you know, like guided meditations, beliefs, affirmations, writing goals down, blah, blah. And yeah. it was that point of if the subconscious isn't on board with it, you, you're just two people riding a tandem bike uphill and only one of you is pedaling. Absolutely. Yeah. The elephant is driving. <laughs> yeah. And as soon as you run out of energy, you're just going to roll backwards. Yeah. And, that, and that's the other thing when we work on values as well. Um, identifying because most people want to tell you, they tell you what they think you want to hear. And, uh, <laughs> and also we're very good at kidding ourselves. So again, working with values, people have their hierarchy in different areas of life, their set of values. And so those are also tested to identify which way they're motivated primarily. Are they motivated from moving away from what they don't want or moving towards what they want? Because if they're, if they're strongly motivated, um, away from, motivated away from what they don't want, same thing as you're saying is, is that once they get towards what they want, their motivation is right back there at what they don't want. And so it simply draws them back. And so what we do is we, you know, that's why we, we just dig deeper and deeper and deeper and find out all those hidden things that people are hiding from themselves. Yeah, it is funny, isn't it? People, um, they, they get caught in that sort of vicious repetitive cycle. Yeah. And, and, and just they sort of, and they end up, especially I find that because people will start i don't know if it's a midlife crisis is the mm -hmm. right term but there seems to be a reflection point somewhere around the 30s and 40s where people look back and see these patterns and recognize patterns in their life and then generally beat the shit out of themselves about it yeah yeah and that's and that's the silly thing really because the past is the past and the past brought us to where we are now and who do you know some great things have happened so yeah so I'm going to start finishing up soon, but there's, there's two questions that I wanted to ask you. And the second one is, is just be, is a playful question. But the first one is, what what would you describe as something you've always done well, that you've done right? That I've done well? Or done right? I've done right. Well, something I've already done, always done well, is I would say something totally out of the, is, is art. All right. It's art, yeah. I've always done art really well. I was... I went to art college and I love that creativity and I do it in some way, shape or form because I went from there to make jewellery and things. So I think, yeah, that's something I've always done well. I've got to I turn my hand to most things. I, actually, thinking about it, I'm pretty adaptable and I can turn my hand to a lot of things. That's good. And do you see that in successful clients? That they're adaptable? Or they recognise what they do right I think they can come to that. A lot of the time, I think people act as you said, you know, you mentioned is that they beat themselves up and they focus on the negative. And so it takes that process of going through the coaching where they start to realize all of the things that they actually do right. So. Lastly, and this is the playful one, using your imagination, funnily enough, if you could be at any place in the world, any place, any time, what would you be doing? What would you vehicle would you be driving? And what music would you be listening to? Oh gosh, where would I be? I'd probably be somewhere in Colombia because it's my second home. What? Would you say what car would I be driving? What vehicle? 
Yeah, or you can swap it for what you'd, you'd be drinking if you don't drive or don't have a passion for cars. Oh, I do drive. I don't really have a passion for cars. I'd probably be driving a, 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 a well, I'd be driving a van. Yeah. A van that I could live in. And I would be listening to some dance music. <laughs> I'm a raver. Yeah, fair enough. Absolutely. Fair enough. That, that's brilliant. Thank you very much. I really do appreciate your time. Thank you very much, David. It's a pleasure. <laughs>